Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family as ever. I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip on New Year's Eve to the Amex Stadium, where they will take on Roberto De Zerbi's Brighton and Hove Albion. Of course, Brighton recently beating Arsenal in the Carabao Cup at Emirates Stadium. So have we got a bit of a score to settle? It's been a few feisty encounters down there over the years. The Neil Mopai one in particular, if you remember that, that was what gave Emmy Martinez, his big break, wasn't it? The injury sustained uh, by Bern Leno that day. Uh, so quite a bit of history for a fixture that on the surface of it, when you look back over the years, probably doesn't have all that much. But in recent years, there's been a little bit of a feistiness between Arsenal and Brighton. And I'm very, very much looking forward to this game. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Hope you're all getting ready for your New Year's celebrations. Um, it's our final game of 2022. Uh, we don't have to wait too long for the first of 2023 because, of course, Arsenal are back in action again on the 3rd of January at home to Newcastle. That would be a really, really interesting game, won't it? Very much looking forward to that one as well. But I think having Newcastle coming up, having games against United and Spurs just around the corner and some really tough fixtures to come, it makes this one even more of a must win, if you ask me. And it's kind of hard because in the past, I've got kind of sucked into, you know, believing that certain fixtures are of greater significance and of, of bigger importance because of the difficult games that we then have around the corner. But if you remember, there was a point last season where we dropped points against somebody that we really shouldn't have. And then we went and beat uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and then we beat Manchester United that weekend. And all of a sudden you're looking at it and you're going, well, just because you didn't make the most of the game that you thought you were going to, it doesn't mean that it's all doom and gloom. And so sort of having learned that lesson over a number of years, following the club and, and following football in general, I don't want to get too obsessed with certain fixtures. I don't want to place uh, greater significance on certain fixtures because I think the pressure that comes with that is actually counterproductive. But I can understand why people will look at this game, as I say, and think, We've got Newcastle to come, Man United, Spurs, etc. all around the corner. So this is a really good opportunity for the Gunners to pick up another three points. Let's say a few hellos uh, to those of you joining us in the live chat at the moment. Big hello to Matai Guna, who says, my first time watching live. Thank you, Harry, for your work. You seem like a genuinely nice person. Thank you, mate. I uh, really, really appreciate that and appreciate your support. Appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Mr. Mute says, been a while since I've been able to catch you live. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing great. Thank you. Hope you're good too. Uh, big hello to Delisu, to Alex, to Nav, uh, to Matt, to Ron, uh, to Wandering Minstrel, to Tom, uh, to Benjamin, who says, uh, been recovering from surgery and have loved being able to catch more live podcasts. 
love from Utah, USA. Um, I hope you're good, mate. I hope the surgery went well. Hope you're on the road to recovery. And thank you uh, for tuning in. Um, sending out some uh, some love uh, across the pond. Uh, Imran says, "Hey, Harry, Brighton are most definitely our bogey team, but confident, nevertheless." Uh, we'll get into all of that in just a minute in a little bit more detail. Hello to Gustavo, uh, to Afsar, to Martin, uh, to Barry, to Moss as well. Hope you're good. Uh, big hello to Graham Sutherland, who says, how did the commentary go, Harry? Do you know what? It went really well, I think. Um, I haven't had any official feedback. I guess no feedback is a good thing because it means that there was nothing glaringly wrong with it, I guess. Um, but yeah, it went really, really smoothly. Uh, big thanks to those of you that tuned in, because I know a few of you did. I got some messages yesterday uh, from people that had tuned into BBC Radio London's uh, live coverage of the EFL last night. I was on lead commentary uh, alongside former Manchester United and England defender Paul Parker. And we were at Millwall for the second game of the night. So BBC Radio London had QPR versus Luton. And as soon as that concluded, they threw over to us at the Den uh, to cover the Millwall game. And uh, you know, some people won't care about this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, because it, it was a really cool experience. I, I kind of went there thinking, OK, I'm in commentary mo mood, you know, mode, mood, mode. Uh, I've done plenty of games before. I should be absolutely fine. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous in the build up, because as the day went on, it became apparent to me that actually I wasn't just going to be commentating on that game. I was going to have to make sure that at various points when prompted in my ears by the producers, that I would cut over to other grounds because there were four other games going on involving London clubs at uh, three, I beg your pardon. And there were reporters at all of those games. And so what I had to do was at the right moments when goals went in or when there were big uh, sort of talking points, I had to throw over to those reporters, but you're trying to focus on your game. You're trying to make sure that you're aware of what's going on in the other games so that you're transitions over to those people are as smooth as they possibly can be but also you've always got that fear of throwing over to a reporter elsewhere and then something happening while you've thrown over um, and you missing it in your game so it's really difficult to kind of know when to throw over you know sometimes you wait for a goal kick or or a specific moment but you also want to leave as little time as possible between a goal going in elsewhere and updating the listeners so yeah it was um it was a really good experience. Really, really enjoyed it. And as I say, nobody's told me it was shit. So <laughs> I guess that's a good sign. Um, but thank you uh, so much for asking anyway. Uh, OK, let's get into it then. Arsenal versus Brighton and Hove Albion. New Year's Eve. A bit of a shit kickoff time. Um, I know a lot of people are not going because it, it limits what you can do on New Year's Eve, right? I mean, for me, for example... If I leave from the Amex Stadium, let's say, by the time I wrap up my work, if the game finishes around about half past seven, if I wrap up my work within an hour and I'm out of there at half past eight, I probably am not getting home till at minimum half past ten. Uh, I know that's in time for the New Year thing and, and that's great, but yeah, it, it does limit what you can do on New Year's Eve. And I know a lot of Arsenal fans have decided not to go because of that. There's also loads of issues with the transport, as there has been throughout this festive period, which makes it difficult for some as well. Um, but yeah, kickoff time, not ideal. It's a great television slot. Uh, I'm sure loads of people will be tuning in, not just Arsenal and Brighton fans, but various others as well. Uh, so yeah, let's see. Uh, let's see how that pans out. But Mikel Arteta has given his press conference. He spoke 
uh, to the media a little bit earlier on. It was around about, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was around about just after four o'clock, uh, he finally went into the room uh, to speak to those who were in attendance. So um, I wanted to do this a little bit earlier in the day. And then I decided that actually, what was the point in doing this before Mikel Arteta had spoken? So I decided to wait. And uh, and so we can bring you what Mikel Arteta had to say uh, in the lead up to this one. He did, uh, of course, get asked about Pe uh, Pele. And, uh, you know, it's only right that I pay tribute to Pele as well, because he's a real icon and legend of the game. Uh, many people say the best player ever. Really difficult for me to say because I don't remember Pele. I don't remember watching Maradona either. So for me, it's really hard to kind of quantify how good these guys were. But you can just tell by the impact uh, that, that Pele's passing has had, how well he was regarded right around the world. And there's a really great compilation going around on social media at the moment. I don't know if anybody's seen it. Of all these wondrous bits of skill and trickery that we now see in the modern game and have seen perhaps over the last couple of decades. And then there's clips of Pele basically doing those things many, many years ago. So a real trailblazer in the game, somebody who was clearly ahead of his time in terms of his skill level and uh, technical quality. And uh, yes, of course we, um, we send our condolences uh, to the, uh, to the family and friends and, and to the football world, you know, following uh, the sad passing of, of Pele, a real legend of the game. Uh, Mikel Arteta was asked if the Brazilians in the squad have spoken about Pele, says they probably have done. We talked about uh, the other day uh, and they're very emotional because he's one of the most popular figures in Brazil. He's, of course, a big loss. Uh, Mikel Arteta focusing on tomorrow's game was asked about the team news. He said everything is good so far, apart from the players that we already had out. Everybody has been training very, very well. Uh, he was asked about uh, Tomiyasu. Is he closer? Mikel Arteta said, yes, he's getting closer and closer. He's been training with us, so he is available. Now, this is really interesting for me, right? Because I said to you guys that I felt the other night that William Saliba was perhaps rushed back quicker than maybe Mikel Arteta would have liked in an ideal world because uh, Tomiyasu was out and because of the fact that that would mean him having to essentially tuck Ben White in and turning to Cedric. It was that or play Rob Holding. And I think Mikel Arteta has made it pretty clear that Rob Holding is not first choice, that, that he's limited in terms of his skill set. And that doesn't really work for us. It would mean us changing our game. You can't play that high line that we do. You can't squeeze people up the pitch with Rob Holding in the back line because he's not mobile enough. He doesn't have the pace. I don't think he reads the game well enough. He's a great person and a, and a really nice person to have around the camp. I can't imagine him being disruptive in the slightest, but he's not good enough. We all know that. Um, and, and as I say, I think Saliba being thrown straight back into the mix so quickly was partly because Tommy Asu was out, which meant that there wasn't any cover at right back that Mikel Arteta deemed good enough if he was then going to push Ben White inside. Now, the reason that the timing of Tommy Asu's return is so significant and so important right now is because William Saliba is one booking away, uh, as I understand it, from a suspension. And when you look at the fixtures that we've got coming up, um, you know, some of the, the top teams, you look at the fact that we're going away to Brighton uh, the, or tomorrow at the time of recording, which isn't going to be easy. There is a good chance that he picks up um, 
you know, there's a good chance that he picks up that yellow card and, and we're going to have to be prepared for that. And having Tomiyasu, whether it's Tomiyasu goes in at centre-back alongside Gabriel, because we know he can play there, or whether it's Ben White moving across and Tomiyasu going at right-back, that is significantly stronger than throwing a Holding or a Cedric in. And so not that there's ever a good time to be without William Saliba, but you'd rather, if he is going to serve this suspension that feels like it's just around the corner, then you'd rather it when Tommy Asu's fit and available. You'd rather it when we have that option. Mikel was asked what he learned from the League Cup clash with Brighton. He said they're a really good team. They're playing at a level that dominates most phases of play. Uh, they're a team that has a lot of confidence. They play with a lot of personality and they're somebody that he's followed for a while now. Um, look, Brighton came to the Emirates Stadium that night and, and played really, really well. They did. They were probably the better side. Look, they made changes. We made changes. That disrupts, uh, you know, fixtures. That can be a problem. That can, that lack of continuity, it, you know, it can be a bit of a lottery, can't it? Because, yeah, you'll say that, well, Brighton didn't pick their first team necessarily either and, and made a few changes too. But sometimes a second string... Uh, you know, that you come up against can just click better than yours. And that's what I say. When you make so many changes, you run that risk. And we did run that risk. And unfortunately, we paid for it. I say unfortunately, but actually, I don't think we could handle another cup competition. I much prefer the FA Cup. I'll feel much worse if we were to get dumped out of that in the early stages. Um, but, you know, we're in Europe. We're sitting top of the Premier League. We want to maintain that level as long as we possibly can. And I just think the Carabao Cup was at the bottom of my pile. So it wasn't a game that I'm going to lose sleep over, but it is a game that we should take some learns from. And it should give us a better idea of how Brighton might approach the game tomorrow. Listen, Roberto De Zerbi is a very, very attack-minded football manager. You know, people look at him and they say, oh, well, he's Italian. So he must be negative in his approach. He must be of the mindset that defence comes first. And, you know, he, he must be someone that's going to be, you know, cautious in his approach. Roberto De Zerbi can be cautious at times, but I think his teams, for the most part, play some really, really attractive football. And I expect under the lights at the Amex Stadium on New Year's Eve, you know, Brighton's first home game back uh, after the World Cup, I expect there to be a really strong atmosphere and I expect them to come at us. And I think we've got to, you know, we've got to be prepared for that. I think at times we're going to have to, you know, really dig deep. At times, we're going to have to, you know, fight with our backs against the wall, I'm sure. There will be spells where we are under pressure. I, I honestly believe that. But if Arsenal can ride those out and then begin to impose themselves, then there's no reason that Arsenal can't go on and win this game. So whilst I look at the Brighton Carabao Cup defeat and think, you know, that was a bit of a warning for us and there are things we can take away from that, you've got to remember that they made changes too. So it's not necessarily the same team that we're going to face tomorrow but also you know we've got to start believing that we're good enough and we've got to start believing that no matter how good the opponent is we are capable of playing our game and we are capable of hurting teams he was asked about Eddie Nketiah who obviously uh, stepped up really really well I thought in the game against West Ham uh, Mikel Arteta said you know yeah, that's what we need players stepping up he had a we had a big blow with Gabby and not having him had a big impact on the team. But we always said that Eddie had the quality and he needed the opportunity to show that. And he did that. Um, he was asked about being top going into the new year. He said, look, I feel really good about it. But my feeling um, is, is, is about tomorrow and performing at the level we need to against a really good side. Mikel Arteta 
not getting carried away. Very complimentary of Roberto De Zerbi. Um, the other kind of juicy bits involved Emil Smith Rowe. How much closer is Emil Smith Rowe? That was the question put to the boss. And he said, uh, very much. He said he made big steps in the last week or so. He's taken part in some training sessions lately um, and looked good. We're really keen to have him back soon. Uh, he was asked about the statue. You know, is there going to be an Arsene Wenger statue? He said he didn't really answer the question. He just said it was a great day, a really emotional day. Finally, it happened in a natural way, him coming back. He's talking about he got what he deserved, which was a big ovation from our crowd and a good feeling of welcome from everybody when he was in and around the stadium. I'm really pleased with that because he deserves it. Now, the real juicy question, which you knew was coming at some point in this press conference, put to Mikel Arteta was, Shakhtar Donetsk have said that they're in talks with Arsenal over Mikhailo Mudrik. What's the latest on that? And in typical Mikel Arteta fashion, he shut it down with the response of, I cannot talk about players that are not Arsenal. I mean, did anyone expect anything different? Uh, he was also asked about tying down uh, William Saliba and the other young talents alike. He said, um, you know, that, that is something that Edu and the board are discussing with the players and their representatives. He was asked if the talks are going well, and he said, I hope so. Uh, what I know is that the players are happy. Um, and then he spoke specifically about Saliba. He said he's really happy the player wants to be here, and that's the main thing. Okay, I think other than that, um, I think that's the main parts of the press conference. The other kind of bits were about the atmosphere, which he seems to talk about every week at the moment. Um, remember I said to you guys a few months ago, subconsciously planting that seed in everybody's mind about the atmosphere and it's bloody working. Uh, and he was asked about um, other sports and how he transfers some of the things he's learned from other sports and, and following them and speaking to high profile people in those sports. Um, you know, how he transfers that over to football and applies it in his own coaching. But anyway, um, guys, if you've got questions, hold fire on them because we will come to them in a little bit. Uh, I just want to quickly run you guys through the team that I would pick uh, to face uh, Brighton and Hove Albion at the Amex Stadium tomorrow. And you're not going to be surprised uh, to hear, and I'm letting it run across the bottom of the screen, that I'm going to go with the same 11 that I did uh, to play against West Ham. Um, I really do think that, you know, there's not really that much room for change. I don't really know what else Mikel Arteta could do. Um, so my 11 to face Brighton is Ramsdale in goal, White at right back, Saliba, Gabriel. I've left Tierney in there, but if Zinchenko's fit enough, let me actually, I'm going to change that. If Zinchenko's fit enough, then I want to see Zinchenko there because I just think he adds another dynamic. I think we're so much more dominant. Um, mm particularly in possession uh, when um, Zinchenko's in the side rather than Tierney. I think Tierney's done well. I think Tierney's a really good fullback, a really, really good defender. But Zinchenko, as I say, just brings that extra layer. I think if I think of our best performances this season, they've mainly been with Zinchenko in the side. Um, defensively, is he, you know, solid? No, he probably isn't. You know, in fact, he definitely isn't. Would I trust him in a one-on-one -on -one defensive situation more than Kieran Tierney? No, I wouldn't. But in terms of our overall game, and I spoke about the need to believe in ourselves and believe in our ability to go away from home and impose our game on our opponents, Zinchenko is a big part of that. Elite player, elite mentality, comes into that midfield and helps out 
creates overloads for us in that area of the park, which is so, so important. And Brighton have a, a very talented midfield, a very hardworking midfield. So I think this kind of levels the playing field a little bit. Midfield picks itself for me. You know, whenever these three guys are fit, they are my midfield, Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard. And at the moment, the front three picks itself as well. Saka, Martinelli and Eddie Nketiah through the middle. Hopefully he can build on that strong performance he showed uh, on Boxing Day against West Ham. So just to reiterate my 11, to face Brighton, Ramsdale in goal, White, Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka, Odegaard, Saka, Nketiah and Martinelli. Now that is assuming that uh, Zinchenko is fit enough to start. Obviously, uh, he wasn't deemed fit enough to start against West Ham United. Uh, Kieran Tierney did, but Zinchenko did come on later on in the game. Hopefully, William Saliba will be that bit sharper and that bit fitter as well, because as I mentioned, I thought he looked a little bit uh, off the pace in the game uh, against West Ham United. But fortunately, we had enough uh, in terms of quality to kind of get away with it and, and paper over those particular cracks. Right, so that's my starting 11. Let's talk a little bit then about Brighton and Hove Albion because they are a tough opponent. They really, really are. Um, if I bring up, let me just bring it up. Bear with me a second. Here we go. PremierLeague.com fixtures, Brighton versus Arsenal. Where are we? Where are we? Where are we? I should have had this up on the screen already. But again, my lack of professionalism is on show for everybody to see. Uh, where where are we? Where are we? Tab. Here we go. Brighton versus Arsenal. If we look at uh, the statistics, we look at the head-to-head in the Premier League between these two sides, you'll be shocked to know that Brighton have won more of these games than Arsenal. Brighton have won four times against Arsenal in the Premier League. The Gunners have won just three, and there has been three draws between these two sides. Uh, recent meetings... Again, Brighton have been a bogey team for us. Uh, Saturday, 9th of April, 2022. So earlier on this year, we were beaten at Emirates Stadium by Brighton. They beat us by two goals to one. Prior to that, we were held to a nil-nil draw at the Amex. We did beat them on Sunday, the 23rd of May, 2021, by two goals to nil. And we did uh, win earlier in that season with a one-nil win at the Amex Stadium but back in June 2020 at the Amex Stadium. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Uh, We were beaten 2-1 and that's kind of the famous game, isn't it? So look, it's not been straightforward against Brighton. It's it's not been straightforward at all. They're a really good side. They're a side that have caused us problems. They're a side that, you know, we kind of need to be able to to take something from if we want to continue our current level and if we want to charge towards the Premier League title, as many are starting to believe that we can. But this is by no means an easy fixture. Maybe it's easier on paper than some of those we got coming around the corner. And maybe that's going to lead to people, as I said, right at the top of the show, feeling almost this anxiety about the fact that we need to get a certain result and, and an anxiety towards what dropping points at the Amex Stadium could mean for us. But you can't look at football like that. I very much do believe right now in the situation that Arsenal find themselves, 
It's got to be one game at a time. Focus on it. Dust yourself off if it doesn't go your way. Pick yourselves up and go again. This is not going to be easy. I, I'm I'm slightly concerned about this match. You know, I've heard today that it's going to be wet, windy, rainy down on the south coast. It's not going to be ideal football conditions. I've already mentioned the atmosphere, which I think is going to be electric. It's not going to be easy at all. Looking at the form guide, Arsenal have won four of their last five Premier League fixtures. Just that draw at Southampton, sort of putting a bit of a blotch on that record. Brighton have won three of their last five. There have been a couple of defeats along the way. One of them was at Manchester City, which is understandable. The other one was at home to Aston Villa, which came, I think, as a little bit of a surprise just prior to the World Cup break. But they bounced back after the World Cup with that 3-1 victory at Southampton, and they are looking in good shape. To win three out of five in the Premier League for a club of Brighton's size, for a club with the expectation levels of Brighton, with no disrespect to them, is really, really positive. And Roberto De Zerbi deserves credit for that. If you look at the two teams and their season so far, the Gunners obviously sitting pretty at the top of the league, having won 13 matches so far. We've drawn one and lost one. Brighton are in seventh, which again is a very, very respectable position and one that they'll be very, very proud of. They've won seven of their matches, they've drawn three, and they've lost on five occasions. In terms of average goals scored per match, Brighton uh, score 1.73. We're managing 2.4 at the moment, which suggests that this could be a pretty high-scoring game. Average goals conceded per match. The Gunners are at under one. It's at 0 0.8, uh, and of course, Brighton's at 1.33. We've kept seven clean sheets. They've managed four. Uh, on average, chances created per match. Now, this is big chances created, and this is according to the Premier League's metrics. They're not a million miles behind us. We average two, and they average 1.87. In terms of top player statistics, goals in the Premier League, well, it's not an Arsenal player that sits at the top of this joint list. It's Leandro Trossard of Brighton, who's going to be a real threat. Uh, Gabriel Martinelli and Martin Odegaard are in joint second with six goals apiece too. Uh, in terms of assists, it's Arsenal that dominate this list. Bukayo Saka has six. Gabriel Jesus has five. And of course, Granit Xhaka has four. In terms of passes, Lewis Dunk at the back leads the way. He's, he's played 1,040 passes. William Saliba just four behind him in second on 1,036. But in terms of tackles, Brighton well on top here. Moises Caicedo has made 45 tackles in the Premier League so far this season. Second is Alexis McAllister, who's been linked with a move to Arsenal in the last couple of weeks. Of course, a World Cup winner with Argentina. And Joel Veltman sits in third. So interesting. And I mentioned that McAllister's been linked with Arsenal, by the way. I read something earlier today linking Moises Caicedo with the Gunners. I know Liverpool are keen on him, but will they get that deal done after they've just bought Cody Gakpo in? I don't know, if I'm being completely honest with you. But... This is a really talented Brighton side. And if I just go back to, um, bear with me a second, I just want to bring up the way they lined up against Southampton, because I think that will give us uh, some kind of indication as to what we might see. Now, I, I don't really know uh, what they're looking like in terms of injury news and all of that. Uh, so bear with me a second. But uh, let's just have a quick look at the side that they named uh, to play Southampton. And remember, we went to Southampton and we were held to a draw. But Brighton went there, had 66% of the ball. 
um, you know, managed seven attempts at goal, four of which were on target and ended up running out comfortable winners in the end. Uh, let me just swap the screens over. Bear with me a second. Here we go. Southampton won Brighton three. This was the side that Brighton named. Now, uh, some of you are telling me in the chat that Caicedo is suspended uh, tomorrow, which if it's true, that's great. Uh, McAllister's probably not going to be ready. Uh, Welbeck is out as well. But even still, there's players in that side, I think, that could cause us problems. I think Sanchez is a pretty decent goalkeeper. I think he's really good with the ball at his feet and helps them in the way that they build out. Levi Colwell's been a really good capture for them at centre-back, albeit on loan, I think. Uh, in midfield, if Caicedo is missing, that's obviously a blow, but Pascal Gross has been around the block a bit, knows what he's up to, uh, knows what he's uh, good at and, and sort of makes a real nuisance of himself. Solly March, I think, is a really underrated player. Adam Lalana, lots of technical ability, but has he got the legs nowadays? Mitoma scored against us in that Carabao Cup game and has impressed me every time I've seen him. And Leandro Trossard, who I've mentioned, has got seven Premier League goals already so far this season. So regardless of their injury problems, regardless of the suspensions, there's plenty of talent in that Brighton side that we need to be wary of. In terms of a prediction for this one, I want to be positive. Why wouldn't I be positive? You know, Arsenal flying at the moment. Um, you know, we... We look as though we're probably going to have Tommy Asu back on the bench. Emil Smith-Rowe is not far away. Um, I'm hoping that William Saliba will be that bit fitter and sharper. I'm hoping that Zinchenko is fitter and sharper, which is another addition to what we had at our disposal against West Ham United. So, yeah, let's let's say that Arsenal are going to win this. Let's go for a narrow win. I don't think it will be crazy. 2-1, 2-1 to the Gunners. I think we can score. I really, really do. Um, Defensively, I think, you know, we should be good enough to limit them at least to just the one goal. But this is a Brighton side that are very exciting going forward. The question is, are they going to leave spaces in behind? Because I think we're very well equipped to counterattack these days. You know, I know that we play a high pressing style and we like to pin our opponents back and we like to dominate territory, etc., etc. But I think... If we need to mix it up, if we need to be a little bit more counter-attacking, I think we do have the capability of doing that based on the profile of players we have. You know, if you set off a break with Partey sort of breaking the line from deep and, you know, you set Saka off or Martinelli off and Ketty is a very willing runner too. Odegaard, you know, can also join in on that. I think I think we could be all right. So, yeah, I'm going to go for a 2-1 Arsenal win. That's my prediction for this one. Let me know yours, of course, in the comments and start getting your questions in for the last few minutes of the show. If I could just remind you before we continue on to please leave a like on the video. There's around about 300 of you with us across the multiple platforms at the moment, but there's only 55 likes on the board, which simply isn't good enough. Like, 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 subscribe uh, to the channel if you haven't done so already. Uh, also, uh, if you want to become a member of the Chronicles of Aguna over on the Another Slice platform and get access to my player ratings show, uh, which will be uh, dropping straight after the Brighton game. I'll be doing that, uh, of course, from the Amex Stadium. So you'll hear from me straight after the full-time whistle. That will be exclusive uh, to our members over on the Another Slice platform. Uh, information uh, to sign up, all you need to do is go over to anotherslice.com forward slash Chronicles of Aguna. 
create your account on the platform, log in via it, subscribe to the Chronicles of Aguna, and then you can download the app, log in, and get access to our premium content at your fingertips. I'll drop the information in the description as soon as this video ends. Um, but yeah, that content is exclusive to those members. You'll be able to get that exclusively on another slice, and that'll be my full-time player ratings. Okay, let's see what you guys are saying. M says, Harry, what's your opinion on Danny Olmo? He can play the whole front three and seems like an ideal Arteta player. Skillful, but also puts in a shift and does dirty work in every game. I quite like Danny Olmo based on what I've seen of him. Um, you know, he's, he's impressed me. I don't know how likely it is that, you know, he's available. I don't know how um, sort of high up he ranks in terms of Arsenal's priority list. It's not a link that we've heard very much, um, but it's one that, that makes sense, at least theoretically. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be against a move like that. I, he's a player that every time I've watched him, I've been pretty much impressed by. So, yeah, I, I'd be all for that. Uh, Kenny says, question, Harry, are you terrified? I can hear it in your voice. Do you know what it is, Kenny? I'm not terrified because I believe in this team. I really do. I believe in the manager. I believe in the project. I feel like we're really moving in the right direction. And I feel as though there is so much to be excited about. But I think what happens is that when you desperately want something so badly, you, I don't know, some people don't do this, but I seem to get nervous and and maybe overthink things because I'm trying to prepare myself for what might come in terms of a disappointment. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I'm not terrified of Brighton. I'm not going into this thinking, oh my God, we're going to get beat. But we could get beat. It's the Premier League. And this is a very, very good Brighton Al and Hove Albion side playing under the lights in front of their fans on New Year's Eve. Anything can happen. I'm not terrified, but I'm so desperate for this Arsenal side to shut people up and prove people wrong and prove all those people that, you know, look, it, it was perfectly fair to feel that Mikel Arteta wasn't the right man. It was perfectly fair to have that opinion. And I don't criticise anybody for having that, had that opinion in the past. But I do criticise those who were toxic, who would verbally abuse our manager, who would choose to try and score points online ahead of supporting and backing their team, who even when their team are performing excellently and flying high at the top of the Premier League, still look for reasons to discredit the players, the manager, the hierarchy. Those people, I want to see them eat humble pie. I want to see them shut up. I want to see them be put in their place. I want to see them uh, sort of backtrack in the way that they're inevitably going to have to do um, as Arsenal continue to progress at some point. So, it's not a um, it's not a fear it's a it's a desire to see this arsenal side succeed and the more you want something the more nervous you are about the opposite outcome potentially happening and that's how i feel right now if that makes sense okay uh moss says uh, saturday with harry it is <laughs> hope you're well man hope you're good uh, good to see you in the chat. Uh, Wilson says, why on earth is some Arsenal fans so nervous about Brighton for? We need to back the team. Come on, man. Uh, I basically kind of explained why I, why I feel nervous about it. So I won't go over the same thing again. Um, 
name. That's his screen name. Just name. Thoughts on the absurd new player prices. Enzo Fernandez, 105 mil. Anthony and Grealish around about the same. And now Mudrick. It's just gone mad, hasn't it? It's gone mad. Look, I wondered if the pandemic was going to was going to do something in terms of kind of just re-leveling things a little bit and and just kind of bringing that equilibrium back to the football world because the prices had gone crazy. I think the sport's gone bloody crazy. Um, it's gone nuts. It's gone mad. The Mudrick thing, I've spoken about it over and over again. I, I feel like I'd be sort of repeating myself if I spend too much time on this again, but look, I like Mikhailo Mudrick. I'd love to have him at Arsenal, but, you know, and I might be wrong. You know, maybe he isn't going to be uh, at any sort of risk. Maybe Arsenal are that convinced. Maybe everybody's so sure. Roberto De Zerbi says that he could be a Ballon d'Or winner one day, Mikhailo Mudrik. That's how highly he rates him. That's how highly a lot of people around the continent are rating him. But based on what I know, I cannot with any confidence say, yes, 100%, this guy is worth north of the £55 million offer that Arsenal have already made. Now, I'm willing to accept that I might be wrong and I'm willing to accept that I don't know best. But it's just my feeling. I'm not going to sit here and lie and, you know, toe the, the company line and pretend that because the club are in for it, that I 100% believe that that is an absolutely fair price to sign the Ukrainian. And I'm being honest about my feelings here. I'd love to have him. I'd love to see him in Arsenal colours. I'm excited about what he could bring to the team if indeed we do get this deal done. But is it worth the type of money that is being talked about right now? Probably not, is is my honest answer to that. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Alex says, why is our fan base so scared of depth? I see people saying that we can't have both Tierney and Zinchenko in the team. What are your thoughts? I think we've got really good depth, Alex, in certain areas. Like the left-back position is one of those. The right-back position uh, is there. I think we've got sufficient depth at centre-back because of... Ben White and Tommy Asu's ability to play in there as well. Um, and, and you know, if things really got shit, you could push Kieran Tierney in there as well. So I'm not worried about depth in certain areas. I think we've got it in some areas. I just think there's a couple of really key areas where we still lack it. And I think that's why people get a little bit worried and a little bit nervous about what might happen in the event that we do lose some of those key players. Afsar says, Harry, given Emil Smith-Rowe's injury record, do you think he has a future at Arsenal? I think he'll be sold. I think the club believe he has a future. Um, I, I really do. I, I think that, you know, he's he's had a he's had a, a bad time of it in terms of injuries. It's not gone his way. Um, you know, there was some ongoing problems that were constantly sort of holding him back. And the club took the decision a little while ago that actually the only way to potentially overcome this in the long term is to to undergo surgery. And that's what he's ended up doing. And hopefully... Uh, that puts an end to the recurring issues that he has had, um, you know, over the past 12 months or so. But I think we saw it at the start of last season when he's fit, when he's firing, when he's playing well, he's just as good and impactful as Saka or Martinelli. Different, but just as effective. And you only had to look at the goal scoring record uh, in the first half of last season, you know, to see that actually, you know what, we are... You know, we, we we do have a real special player on our hands because he was the one. He was the most influential. He was the one that was having the most impact on football matches out of that young core group that I've just mentioned. He's fallen a little bit behind them because they've continued to develop and he's been sidelined for large periods. But that doesn't mean um, 
you know, that doesn't mean that he, he can't get back to that. Uh, Kingsley says, since you predicted a 2-1 win for us, who do you think will be our goal scorers? I'm going to go Enketia and Odegaard. That'll be my two. Uh, Jay says, do you think Edu is fuming at Shakhtar for being so public and dramatic during the negotiations, given we know that Arsenal like to do things quietly? I don't think he'll be happy with the way they've handled it, but I think Edu understands the way football works well enough to know that that was kind of always going to happen. And the reason for that is because clubs like Shakhtar Donetsk, right, very rarely do they have a player on their books, in their hands, that they can make such a huge profit on. You know, Mikhailo Mudrik is one of a long list of players that will probably move on from Shakhtar Donetsk to go on and play for bigger European outfits. But how many of those players in the past were worth according to them, 100 million euros. This is such a huge opportunity for them to really secure the future of their club, given all the troubles that they have right now and all the problems that they have. I think this was a final roll of the dice from Shakhtar. They know that they're going to lose him. They're resigned to that. They know that Arsenal are interested. They know that Mikhailo Mudrik wants Arsenal but at this moment in time, Arsenal are not playing ball. Arsenal are not offering the type of money at this moment in time that that Shakhtar Donetsk are, are after. And so when I say this is probably the final roll of the dice, it's probably an acceptance and acknowledgement of the fact that Arsenal are very much leading this race, that the player himself wants Arsenal. But throwing that final roll of the dice means that if there was anyone else waiting in the wings, if there was anyone else watching on with interest from a distance who may be tempted to get involved and make a bid here, they would see that these Arsenal negotiations are happening. They would understand what Shakhtar's demands are or, uh, you know, or understand, you know, what it would take and might be tempted to enter the race themselves. So. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's Shakhtar, you know, kind of acknowledging that this is moving one way and then thinking, well, you know, if we do make this public, if there was anyone else that was even half interested, we could potentially lure them out of the shadows by indicating that, you know, the negotiations with Arsenal or, or letting everybody know, I should say, that the negotiations with Arsenal are taking place. Edu won't like it, but Edu's not stupid. He's been around the block long enough. He knows that this is what clubs do. When they've got a prized asset like Mikhailo Mudrik, they try desperately to squeeze every single penny out of them possible. And by making it public, it increases the pressure on Arsenal to go higher with their bid because Arsenal fans want it now and they all know that the talks are ongoing and they all know that this is a possibility and they're trying um, you know, to get the Arsenal fans and, and the Arsenal media and everybody to kind of really keep going on about this and, and that does increase the pressure on the club whatever you say will they bow to that pressure maybe not maybe they'll still think no you know what it's not the right price for us we'll walk away but they are increasing the pressure on Arsenal from all angles by being so very public anyway okay I think I'm gonna leave it there uh just because uh running short of time we've done a good what 40 40 odd minutes uh, on this one. Uh, thank you all so, so much. Uh, we will, of course, uh, be back. Uh, as I say, premium members will get access to our uh, post-match 
uh, player ratings. But the full podcast will be with you on the morning of New Year's Day. Uh, so the morning of New Year's Day will go live and we'll bring you the reaction uh, from the game at the Amex Stadium. I can't bring it to you straight after because I'll be driving back from the Amex Stadium. By the time I get back, it will be midnight and who wants to pause their New Year's celebrations to listen to me blab on about Arsenal? Um, so we'll do that the following morning. Uh, really looking forward to that. Hopefully we're talking about a victory. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. Uh, let's try and get to 100 likes. Come on, before I hit the end broadcast button. We're about 11 away. Don't forget to like. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a review if you're listening on the audio platforms. And we will be back very, very soon with more. Until next time, come on, you gunners. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.